Welcome to Dietitian Boss. I'm Libby Rothschild, your host and fellow dietitian. I'm a coach to my fellow female colleagues all around the world. I help you get leads and turn prospective clients into paying customers using online marketing and social media strategies that focus on sales. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Zoe Klein. Very excited to have her on air. Zoe is a social worker based in Toronto, Canada, who primarily works with individuals struggling with eating disorders, particularly binge eating disorder. Unbeknownst to Zoe, she had also struggled with a binge eating disorder for many years, and it wasn't until she graduated from school and realized that her food issues um, actually had a name. For many years, she had her previous struggles with binge eating disorder as uh, something that would hold her back professionally. She thought that and would cause people to not believe in her. She recently came to see that she couldn't have been more wrong and that in sharing her story, she has been able to help not only motivate people towards full recovery, but also help many people come out of the woodwork and get the support that they deserve. You can find her on Instagram at Zoe Klein Social Work. Is there anything you want to add to that bio as I introduce you today, Zoe? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be able to be here. Um, I'm a therapist who practices from a health at every size perspective. So I don't believe that eating disorders discriminate. You can be in a small body, you can be in a larger body, you can be in a medium-sized body, and you can still have the same eating disorder. And it's important to say that because a lot of the time clients are subject to biases from healthcare professionals where they may not be believed or they have assumptions made about them. So I like to make that distinction right off the top. Yeah, that's great. And thank you for, for sharing that and being so clear. For those listening who might not know what health at every size is, could you talk a little bit about what that means and how, I guess the next question would be how you've come to identify as a healthy at every size practitioner? Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting, and that's a really good story. So in short, health at every size looks to decouple the, the relationship that society has created between weight and health. So colloquially, in our society, we assume that somebody in a small body lives a certain life and that somebody in a large body lives a certain life. And what health at every size looks to do is to support clients in creating healthy habits that are independent of weight in looking at health from a more holistic perspective. So looking at health in terms of nutrition, sure, but also what are that person's relationships? How do they connect to exercise? How can they have a positive relationship with movement that's not about punishing, but about connecting to themselves? And ultimately, how can we create a sort of milieu of health that's easy for the client to maintain without being obsessive and allowing their weight to fall where it may. Yeah, well said. And how did you come to be a health at every size or it's called haze aligned practitioner? Okay, so this is actually a really interesting story because in graduate school I was like vocally anti-haze, which is kind of embarrassing to think about, but I say this because I think it's a particularly poignant thing because at the time, I thought Hayes was ridiculous. I thought Hayes was hurting people. And I was saying that a lot until I started to realize how important Hayes is in our society. And for me, that boils down to one experience I had where I went to a spin class with a girlfriend who was in a bigger body than myself. And she was actually way more fit than I was. Yet the instructor assumed it was her first time there and helped her set up her bike 
when I was the one who couldn't set up my bike and was like gasping for air. So that was a moment where I started to see, okay, there actually might be something to this and we might be wasting our time being so obsessed with weight that we're actually not helping people live healthy lives, which is sort of ironic because that's what diet culture tells us that it's doing. Yeah. And so, and thank you for sharing that story about how, you know, in an everyday life situation, you were able to reframe and help that shift how you practice and then help your clients, right? The, the people that you serve as a social worker, right? Yeah, it was, it was a really big turning point for me because I think before then I was so convinced that Hayes was this like made up thing and that this wasn't real, but seeing that in action really gave me insight into why Hazeline practitioners are really important and why I'm causing harm or was causing harm at that time by being so anti-haze, if that's actually a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then how does that help your patients or the clients, the people that you serve? That's a good question. So I, I'm really open with them that at one point I was anti-haze because a lot of the time the clientele that I see has a lot of misconceptions about haze. And they'll say, well, I don't want to practice health at every size because you're going to tell me I can't exercise and I have to sit on the floor and eat cake. And I'll, and I can connect with that and say, listen, you know, I thought that at one time too, but this is what the health at every size philosophy is. You know, it could be interesting to read certain things by Linda Bacon or whatever, where you can see that the health at every size mandate is actually getting you back to health and away from diet culture. Yeah. And so that reframe with the patients that you help now, have you seen that transform their lives? Absolutely. Because a lot of the time what they'll come back to me and they'll say is I have so much more brain space now because yes, they, you know, have movement or exercise that they enjoy and sure they like their vegetables, but they also can go out for drinks with friends. They also can enjoy birthdays and dessert at their grandmother's house without this need for compensation and allowing themselves to let their weight fall where it does when they're practicing a healthy lifestyle, when it involves other things. And they're not looking back on life events anymore and saying, all I could remember was the fact that I told myself I wasn't going to eat that cheesecake. Yeah. And it's beautiful that they can share that journey with you in a safe space. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to be able to work with people towards that. That's great. And so can you talk with us a little bit about your, your journey and what has helped you create the business that you have? And maybe talk a little bit also about your business. I know you're in person because you're recording this episode from your office in Toronto, Canada. Do you, um, do you also do a high volume of virtual? So if you could just two parts, talk a little bit about your practice and then talk about your journey. Absolutely. So um, I graduated a few years back from social work school and I had this idea as many people do. And I think you talk about this a lot in terms of dietitians where I thought, okay, I have to do X amount of years of service in clinical work before I can do anything. Like no one's going to buy into me. And I sort of did that and I was really uninspired and working for really negative people and at a certain point, I said, okay, I'm going to just try this and I'll work at these clinical jobs for now, but I want to, I want to see what I'm capable of. And I had a really difficult time developing a niche and I toyed with that last year, but it was sort of underdeveloped. And 
eventually when I started to see people online sharing their stories, um, a lot of dietitians that worked with you actually, and people were connecting to that. I started to see that what you think your greatest downfall is could actually be your greatest asset. And that that could be leveraged to help others because I think being able to say, look, I've been through the trenches. I know what this looks like, but let's get you to the other side is I think a really remarkable thing to do. And that helped me hone in on eating disorders, particularly BED, because with BED, you don't really, I, I find that people don't really know what that is. And a lot of the time society doesn't either, because when we think of eating disorders, we think of low weight anorexia treatment. And I lived in shame for a while, as did a lot of people with this disorder. So creating my practice around that has been excellent. So I work with people in person and virtually. So I'm at about, I would say 60-40 split, being 40 virtual and 60 in person. And honestly, my clients are from all walks of life. And that's really reinforced that eating disorders are not a one size fits all thing. They're not teenage girls that want to look like the latest, whatever. It's so many different types of people. So in my practice, I don't work with anybody that is in a very acute state where they should be in a hospital because I work alone. It's not fair to them. But in my practice, I do work with people who are motivated towards recovery. And part of what I do is build a team is we find a dietitian, we get a doctor in place, we look, we look for other adjunctive services as necessary, and we create a really great wraparound system where that person feels they're being supported in all aspects of their recovery. Because recovery is psychological, it's physiological, there's nutrition component, there's all kinds of things that really need to be accounted for. So I make it clear to my clients right from the start that I'm not going to take you through some cookie cutter program, that we are going to work together to really hone in on what recovery means for you and be clear about what that process looks like and what the outcomes are that we're hoping for. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I I love the interdisciplinary perspective and how you bring in dietitians, which is something we'll talk about as we progress in this uh, episode. And that's great. I know the dietitians listening are going to be super happy to hear that, whether they practice anything in, in alignment with eating disorders or binge eating or disorder or not. So that's really nice to hear. I just want to go back just a moment to something you said earlier when you talked about find, having an itch earlier and then not having it be in alignment, can you talk about that process and how that helped you get to where you are today and what that has done for you to market on Instagram? You knew I was going to ask that question. Yeah, of course. Of course. So last January, I knew I wanted to do Instagram, but I didn't really understand what that process would involve. I'm not the most patient person on a good day. So I had this idea of like, oh yeah, I'm going to like do this thing and like take coaching and I'll have 10,000 followers in a month. Like great. And I think what I was trying to do at the time was create maybe confidence coaching. If I think back to it, I think it was more to help maybe women that were like myself who were sort of quirky and funny and had a tough time with certain things, but it was not really specific or focused. And I think I wasn't specific or focused. And I think through seeing that, I realized that I really needed to be very crystal clear on who my ideal client was and specifically what I was going to do for them. And 
what their pain points were. And I realized that through looking at what my own pain points were when I was struggling with binge eating disorder, which was the secrecy, the shame, the do I reach out for help and am I going to be discredited in the process? Because that's something that can be very common for people who struggle with eating disorders is if I tell the wrong person, am I going to be shamed, discredited, all these things. So once I saw what didn't work and I thought about my own pain points in another situation, I was able to create a practice that was more geared towards my ideal client and more impactful. Awesome. And follow-up question, what helped you get there? Like you make it sound for the listeners, they might be thinking, how? So if you could maybe break down a little bit, I understand that the journey to get to where you are took some deep thinking, some reflection, and some time, even though one could argue it still happened pretty quickly. So how did you go from realigning the ideal client and deciding to connect it with something that's personal and then break through the discomfort of possibly feeling like an imposter or like perhaps you didn't want to be discredited for something that's just really emotionally compelling, right? So how did you get past all that? Well, one thing I like to do whenever I set a goal or I'm anxious about anything is I consider the worst case scenario. Okay. So said, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Somebody writes a bad comment or somebody doesn't come to me as a client because they think whatever. And once I was able to see that those things really didn't matter in the long run, I was able to really ask myself why I was so focused on what other people were thinking. And that was my big problem before was I wasn't doing certain things towards developing my niche because I was like, Oh, what's this person going to think? And what if so-and-so reads this? And being able to be comfortable with and like make peace with the worst case scenario, if you will, I was able to think, okay, what is my best case scenario? And how can I break that down? And my best case scenario was I could help people break this horrible cyclical thing that happens with binge eating where you don't think you can get out of it. You don't think life is going to be very different at all. And you get into cycles of depression and bad things that can happen. So by understanding my worst case scenario and my best case scenario, I was able to create a business plan that was geared towards my best case scenario. So how can I help this person get to this good outcome and saying, okay, what are the steps that I'm going to take and how can I action that on Instagram so that a potential client can see that and say, this is a safe place I can go. Really proud of you. And congratulations on that breakthrough. That's amazing. Um, was there, was that all internal or was there something, a catalyst to help you get that list and then actually break through and implement it? Or was it just you really focusing on get, getting at it? So I would say it was a few things. Like it took me sitting down and writing this stuff out and showing other colleagues and t- having conversations with people and also doing some thinking and strategizing towards thinking about if I want to get this message out, how can I also delegate to do that? Because I think we all make this mistake in our business where we feel like we want to do everything. And I know that I really benefited from hiring someone in October to help me bring my ideas to life. And 
she's done an amazing job in doing that. Um, I've come up with all of the written work and what she's done is she's helped me package that in a way so that it's really able to be accessed by others. So for me, one thing I've learned is it's not enough to have a message. It's how can you package that with a pretty little bow in a way that people can say, oh, I connect with this. Yeah, that's great. And if you could just walk us through, how do you approach your goals in your business slash life, specifically when it comes to how you've been able to, you've explained it really well, like take your marketing seriously and have it make an impact and be authentic and have it feel aligned and break through all of the mindset stuff that we tell ourselves to hold ourselves back from actually getting to where you've been able to get to. So anytime I make a goal, I say, okay, what's my end point? So for example, I'd like to make $10,000 next month. So then I look at, okay, what do I need to do to get there? And for me, one of the biggest things I needed to do was free up my time. And I also had to think about the way I was seeing clients is looking at packages, looking at ways to be impactful and get people through the door and crunching those numbers and saying, would that get me to what my goal is? But I think also what's important to me is saying, what is going to be good about this goal? Because I think a lot of the time we can set goals and we don't really think about the outcomes. So thinking, what is what are 10K months going to do for me? How can I use that? How would I be able to use that money to reinvest back into my business and make it great or improve my personal life and continue to improve the lives of my clients who I'm, I'm fortunate to work with, right? Because we have to think about how is that goal going to help me in the future too? So that's something I like to focus on. Yeah, really helpful. A really nice way for you to to frame um, breaking down the tasks and, and make it really clear. Um, so we, you've kind of touched on this earlier, but I just want to bring it up again. Um, what ultimately allowed you to get clear? Uh, you've talked about the process. If you could just sum it up with your ideal client or your niche and um, what did change in your marketing once you got that clarity and what does that process look like? Well, one of the things I did is I created my avatar and I thought about who that person was. And honestly, that person was me at like 21 years old. But I also created a male avatar that was a little older. And that allowed me to also market to men as well. And I think those two things were really helpful because I was able to look at, okay, if I want to not just be for women, how can I structure my marketing so that this message can be meaningful to people from all walks of life of all genders. So that was important to me to be able to be able to be able to make that distinction and say, I'm not just marketing to young women. I'm not just marketing to men. I'm marketing to all people who struggle with this particular issue. That gave me the confidence that I think I was missing in 2019 in terms of building up my business because I think truly clients are not going to go to somebody who's not confident in their own message. And I wasn't. Yeah. And uh, I, I hear you with that. So speaking of, of our work, what would you think if you were to kind of say that there's been something that's helped you, would it be just getting started or particularly related to the packages or the revenue? Like what's been helpful for a reframe in the business? Would you, what, what aspect would you say has been helpful? So many, honestly. 
I think one of the biggest things that I've learned that I learned from you and that I've learned from others who have gone through your programs is how important it is to center yourself in your business and how important it is to be vulnerable with your audience and really connect to your own message. Because I think what was happening before was I wasn't connecting to my own message. I was sort of quasi showing up. And one thing I've learned is it's really important to have systems in place and proper financials and all that good stuff. Like that's really necessary and to have your legal life in order, but it's really about also connecting to your message and saying like, this is meaningful for me and I can make this meaningful to you. That's beautiful. And for anybody listening who is struggling with connecting with your message and vulnerability, I hope the story today, and I I love how Zoe's talking about reframing and approaching social media and and your business in a way that is more vulnerable. I hope that for you listening, this is super inspiring because I think it's great that you're sharing this for for those practitioners listening uh, who are struggling because I think all of us struggle with what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's common. And I think also we get so many messages when we're in grad school about like when and how you should go into private practice. But I think the first six months of doing it are really difficult because you're made to feel like an imposter and you're made to feel like you're doing something wrong. And I think there needs to be some changes in schools related to that. And instead of saying that you need to have some arbitrary number of years in clinical, I think schools are, would be way better off to say, if you want to go into private practice, here are some business skills you can learn. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. And then the other way that we have control over, because we can't, you know, academia is a whole nother beast, would be just sharing with our colleagues and inspiring, you know, fellow practitioners to be vulnerable just by doing, right? So you're role modeling for them, for the listeners, for other therapists, social workers, dietitians, that they too can get out there, show their face and get more vulnerable and connected with their message. And that can help them feel aligned and reach their profit goals. Absolutely. And I think that what some of the dietitians I follow and therapists that I follow have been able to do online is amazing. And you see that reflected back on their testimonials of people that have had their lives changed by connecting with these professionals. And, you know, it's wonderful to have a great profit. It's wonderful to do those things, but being able to use Instagram as a medium to help people, especially in a climate where there's a lot of non-productive things on Instagram, I think it's really great to do. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Instagram, tell me, how do you approach that platform in general and how do you use Instagram to market your services? That's a good question. So I do so in a few ways. One is to provide education. A lot of my content surrounds binge eating disorder. I do talk about eating disorders and diet culture, but I provide a lot of education around binge eating disorder because one of the things I've noticed about my clients is they don't know that this is a thing that exists within names. So I'll have people come through my door and say, I think I have night eating or I do this with eating. And I don't want to be too explicit because I don't want to be, of course, triggering, but I provide information about binge eating disorder so that somebody looking at this can say, I might have this or I connect with this or At the very least, I'm really glad that this has a name and that this isn't like a character flaw or something because I think people are told that, which is really awful. 
So that's one way that I use Instagram to help connect me to my ideal client. Two is I like to showcase the way I practice. So I make it clear through my post that I am a hazel line clinician. So again, health at every size. This is really important when you seek out eating disorder treatment providers. So that's something I like to make clear. And I market to my ideal client through stories by talking about important issues, by soliciting answers and question boxes and being very clear in terms of how will I work with you to create a better relationship with food and your body, but also your life. And I'm going to continue to really hone in on that and continue to expand my clientele that way. Fantastic. So what you've done in summary from using Instagram is been a resource as an education, a specific, specifically with binge eating disorder, uh, you know, provided valuable content for them. And then what you're able to do is show how you practice so that you can stand out with your style, uh, which you said is haze aligned. And then, you know, customize some of your ability to connect with them by seeing what they're interested in, in the question box, and then being able to be a resource in real time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think those are all really helpful tips for the listeners and I, and you are really focused with what you do. Can you talk a a little bit about um, how do you work with, if at all, other dietitians? Because I know there's a lot of, you know, intuitive eating practitioners, food freedom dietitians. How does that work with you or do you network with them? Can you talk a little bit about about that synergy, if if at all, um, whether it's on Instagram or in real life? Yeah. So um, dietitians are really, really important to my line of work for a few reasons. One is understandably, um, my clients will come in and they'll have nutrition questions and they'll say, okay, I, how can I eat in such a way that helps me feel full? Or they have health-related concerns that they feel might be contributing to binge eating. And what's important for me is to stay, of course, in my lane and making sure that I can work with them on the psychological piece what, alongside someone being able to help review their nutrition, help them incorporate foods into their diet and help them to eat in a way that feels good. Like I do do food exposures in my office for, so for those listeners who don't know what that is, that's of course a consensual process where my client and I might have a figure of food together to sort of normalize that experience and help them feel comfortable having that food or not having that food. But what the dietitians are able to do is help make sure they're eating enough, help make sure that they are not eating in a limited rigid way. And that ultimately they're eating in a way that helps them to feel good because that's, that's what's most important. So I'm constantly connecting with dietitians over Instagram in person. Um, I have a lot of nutrition professionals in Toronto that I really trust, and I'm going to be making much more of an effort to continue to go to events and meetups to grow my network and expand. But I found that IG has been amazing in terms of who has reached out to me to collaborate. And it's really great having those professionals sort of on my roster because you never know who you're going to work with and when. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's great that you've been able to use Instagram to truly authentically communicate how you serve your clients and network on a 
I'm, I'm guessing global. I know you're in Canada. I'm here in New Jersey, but really extend how you're able to develop deeper professional relationships and an, essentially an interdisciplinary team, right? Whether it's for your clients and patients or whether it's just for professional purposes. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's so important to me. Yeah. Important to me too. I think for everybody listening, there are huge benefits from Instagram beyond just building your own business. It's truly fulfilling when you can meet other colleagues or professionals that you respect. Um, what other opportunity are you going to have to do that? Even at a conference, you might not be able to develop a deep relationship versus on Instagram, you can follow their content and appreciate and support them and watch their stories. And it's, it's just really nice when you're able to, um, to build that rapport and then maybe even create some type of a referral network. Yeah, no, that's, that's been wonderful to be able to do that and to send each other clients and to work together and to be able to create such good things for clients. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I do want to ask about growing a lucrative business. How are you able to, uh, you know, you have that 60-40 split, so in-person and virtual. Uh, you're busy. You're creating content online. You're networking. How do you manage growing the business and not feeling stressed out while you also have the marketing and you got to take care of your financials and all the things that come with a private practice? So I think what's really important and one thing I had to realize is I had to swallow my pride and realize that I couldn't do everything. And I think that we're sort of led to believe that because unless you know somebody intimately that runs a business, you think, oh, like I'm the sole provider, like I should do everything, what's wrong with me? But I realized at a certain point that I was hurting myself by doing that and I was hurting my income and the ability to really show up for my clients. Having really good business people in your corner, having people that you can consult about the legal aspects, having limits with yourself too, in terms of how much time you're going to devote to just one thing. Because I, I was realizing I was hyper-focusing on the amount of followers and not engaging with potential accounts that could help me. I, and I was hyper-focusing on the amount of likes as opposed to who am I connecting with on this platform? So I think it's delegating, but it's also taking a step back and saying, what is important? What outcomes do I want? And how can I look at that independently of number of likes and followers and shares? Yeah, really great advice and difficult for so many people to also apply. Yeah, so, sure. yeah I know it's hard, but the truth is that you know, likes is not an indication of sales and impact. Um, so truly understanding how you are spending your time and energy marketing in a way that gets you the results that you want. That's what matters. And it's not always, um, it's not always measured in vanity metrics. So no. working, working through that, the sooner the better. So for those of you listening, I know this topic comes up often with guests and I'm glad that Zoe's reinforcing it. Um, you got to look beyond those likes and vanity metrics to, to know that you're creating that impact and you're, you know, really um, leading a purpose-based business to help your ideal client solve his or her problems. So what would you say has been, you know, I love talking about money. What have been some of your fears when it comes to charging in general or charging a higher price point for your service or services um, in, your, in your business and your practice? So they sound sort of silly when I talk about them, but they're also probably very normal. And I'm sure other people struggle with this is when I started to put packages and prices together, I thought, oh my God, I look really young. 
what if nobody buys into this because like I'm told I look like I'm like 20 and I'm not, but like I'm told that or like, have I been around long enough to do this? And you know, what happens if so-and-so from 10 years ago sees my pricing package and laughs and I think I was, I myself was getting really stuck in vanity metrics and also some things that I needed to process on my own psychologically that were holding me back because the reality is, is that I'm a mental health professional and I have every right to put together services that help people. And I have a demonstrated ability in doing that. So I had to push back some major psychological roadblocks to to do that. And I'm, I'm proud to say that I have. To do, to charge for your services or to yeah. charge packages? To charge for my services and to charge appropriately because oh. I, I was charging absurdly low at the beginning based on sort of these things that I was describing, right? Instead of saying, okay, like this is ridiculous. I'm a mental health professional. And if I'm not taking myself seriously, who's going to take me seriously? And like, absurdly low prices don't help anybody. I am going to pull that quote and probably put it on my Instagram with your permission. <laughs> That's great. Please, please. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. So I'm, I'm glad you were able to work through that, you know, feeling like you're too young or you look too young, feeling like you look too old, all of those, like we genuinely people like my clients tell me these things. This is so real. Like what you're saying, I'm sure listeners are thinking the same thing. And so, the, yeah, the fact that you've worked past it and you can role model that is huge. Thank yeah, and I, and, and, and I hope to be able to. And I'm, I'm transparent with people about that. Um, not my clients, obviously, but colleagues who talk to me about it because I think that we have to put these things out there so we can put them to rest because us not charging a lot or us not being confident in ourselves doesn't help anybody. Correct. It's actually counterproductive, but we have to work through it, right? Because we're not, it's many bad things happen. We become dissatisfied. We don't create boundaries. We don't meet our revenue. And then we become disgruntled and angry. And it just causes this negative cycle when we are not able to charge appropriately for our services. Yeah. And I was like talking to a friend about that a little while back. And he was talking about why he never worked for free in his industry when he was starting out because he also said, I don't want to be tagged as the guy who does that. I don't want to be tagged as the guy who thinks so little of my services that that's what I do. And I realized that was the direction I was going in and that's pretty detrimental. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a fan of free work. I think we all need to charge for what we do and, uh, you have to think really strategically about your price point and your services. And I'm definitely big on teaching that because uh, your offer and aligning that with your ideal client, um, that should be step one. Totally. <laughs> step totally. two is marketing. Step one is getting that offer clear. Yeah. What advice would you give, uh, um, uh, whether it's a practitioner, mental health care professional, dietitian, social worker, therapist, what would you give them if they are starting out? A couple of things. I would say give yourself time. That was something I didn't understand. I just assumed it would all sort of fall into place. I would say, give yourself time, be patient, but start. Anything that you can do to start is important. And I think we sort of get lost in this idea of like, I can't start until like my life is perfect or I'm ready. And I think the best thing you can do is start. And will you review your offer and change things as you go? Of course, but get your foot in the door. Do what you can. 
Yeah. Great, uh, great tips. And then what is next in your business? So I would love to create group coaching and this is something I've seen some of my peers have great success with. So this is something that I would love to do in the spring. It's going to be my project. I'm going to be looking into how to do it, how to create an offer. That's awesome. And really hone in on that because I want to be able to help people at a larger scale, find food, food freedom, overcome binge eating and live better lives because of it. Great. So uh, that sounds like a super clear goal for you to look forward to. And there's tangible next steps. And uh, I look forward to, you know, being a part, seeing and supporting that evolution in that journey. So thank you. Any, any final words you want to leave us with today, Zoe? I would say anybody who feels like you're suffering from imposter syndrome or feels like something's holding you back, talk to someone, talk to friends, talk to family, talk to a professional if you need to, because you deserve to start and you deserve to be successful. Beautiful. And that's a really nice note from a mental health uh, professional as we end off here. So just as a reminder, those of you listening can follow and find Zoe at Zoe Klein Social Work on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The next step to continue pursuing your journey includes applying to my next group program. You can find that on my website under group coaching and apply. You can also grab my free workbook. Also listen on my website and go through the exercises so that you can get more clear with your marketing plan, which is going to help you get one step closer to creating the money and impact that you deserve.